if I get off path with what I'm doing, then I'm not going to be of any use to anybody. Mm. So I have to keep coming back and going. I heard someone say it's like it's about being the lighthouse and like a lighthouse's job isn't to save the ships, it's just to shine the light. And that's what I feel now is what I need to do in this whole situation as well. Like how I question a lot of stuff and, in, you know, through conversations then raise some of those issues, but I can't lose sight of how I'm needed right now to be, I guess, that light of optimism and resilience and, and, and really showing that while there's so much uncertainty, it also is a, a space of great possibility. Life is going to give you challenges, struggles. It's going to force you to face your fears. Even though these may feel like your worst enemy, in truth, these are actually your greatest allies. My name is Lance Isios. Welcome to the University of Adversity. What is up, everybody? Welcome to University of Adversity. As you know, I'm your host, Lance Isios. Today's guest's name is Stacey Kopass. She is dubbed as the queen of resilience by seven-time world surfing champion, Lane Beachley, and a badass by the world's toughest man, David Goggins. Stacey has not let a devastating accident that left her quadriplegic and needing a wheelchair for life at 12 years old slow her down. Instead, she has used her life experience and personal philosophies to help leaders shift the way they perceive and respond to uncertainty, change, adversity, and working with large organizations such as Viacom, GM Holden, and Flight Center. Stacy is the author of How to Be Resilient and has been featured on Financial Review, ABC Radio, and The Australian for her insights on resilience in the workplace. In her spare time, you're likely to find her the nearest patch of sunshine with a book, Recharging Her Solar Powers. She is awesome. We had such a great conversation. I know I say awesome, I say great a lot. It's because I mean it, but maybe I need to develop my vocabulary a little bit, don't I? <laughs> Anyways, she's badass. And as you can say, David Goggins, the world's toughest man, the guy's insane, most resilient man, called her a badass. And we'll talk about how that story panned out. And, you know, she's, her story and what she's gone through is really incredible. And, you know, I try and put myself in her shoes about what she went through. It's hard. And to be able to get through and to be able to come around and be resilient and continue to grow and to continue to be empowered versus being a victim is one of the most important lessons in life. So in this conversation, we start out just talking about what's going on in the world, how she's been coping with it. She's in Australia, so I really wanted to dig into that. And then we get into her story and we talk about everything from resilience to adversity and all that good stuff. So. I know you guys will enjoy this and if you do as always hit that subscribe button on apple and if you got if you did get value of it leave us a review it's greatly appreciated you guys i know i ask this every episode but it's so important and i just want to make sure that the show keeps to keeps growing keeps getting in people's lives and these reviews really help also we're now live on youtube so if you want to go check out the latest YouTube, you like to watch the video version, it's all there ready for you. However, you like to consume this podcast and subscribe to that as well so that you stay on top of the episodes. All right, enough of me blabbering on. Let's listen to the queen of resilience, the badass woman of Australia, kicking ass all over the place, Stacey Kopass. And here we are. Stacey, welcome to the show. Super excited to have you on today. Amazing to be here with you. <laughs> yeah, so crazy time in the world. And as we were having a conversation, you're from Australia, which is a place where it's very close to my heart. I lived there five years and you live in Sydney as well, which is also amazing. Um, so first of all, I honestly just, I, lately I really like to address elephant in the room with what's going on in the world to kind of see where people are at because I talk to people from all over the world and everybody's got a different perspective on what's happening so for you right now the last six months 
How has that been for you and kind of what, walk us through a little bit of how that's been and maybe what has been your number one takeaway from this, all this craziness? Yeah, look, it's, 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 it's interesting that it's, it's been six months because in, in some respects it feels like nothing has happened and in other respects it feels like everything has happened. And I think the thing that I've said the most over these last six months is the space-time continuum is completely screwed up. Mm. It just feels like, I've, like there's just Lily's concept of days and weeks and months and um, so that's been really quite interesting. So for me personally, um, it, it, it was a big hit for me. Um, I'm a, I'm a very social person and also my business before this 95% of my business was keynoting in person. Right. So all of the work I had booked for 2020 was either canceled or postponed indefinitely. So that was a, that was a big hit um, for me. Um, the other thing I think is from a personal perspective is live music is the thing that I love more than anything. And so I go and see as many gigs as I can. And so I had tickets for some really big gigs coming up and I was like, so they've been postponed indefinitely. I think that's the thing I'm missing the most. Um, but considering that, you know, resilience and dealing with change and unverse adversity and uncertainty is my niche area. It's my, it's I kind of thrive in times like this. At first, I got really excited because I thought, oh, wow, this is a perfect time for what I do. And so then I was like, oh, okay. So I went from being really excited about time's great and um, I've got all this time and space to create that I didn't have before. But then I swung completely the other way and I was like, oh, my God, I feel so overwhelmed and restless. I think restless is the word that... Um, I've felt the most, particularly in the first couple of months. So I felt so, you know, restless and overwhelmed. And I'm just like, yeah, F it all. I'm not doing anything. So I was swinging this really wild pendulum. And so at first I thought, oh, look, I'm just going to sit this out. I can't work the way I normally do. I can't speak in person. So I'll just sit it out. And so I thought, okay, I'll take the time to observe. The only things I really did in the very beginning um, sort of publicly was I took particular um, exception to the, to, the, to the term social distancing. I was like, the term is just the most ridiculous thing ever because, you know, with everything that's going on, we need to be more socially connected than ever. So that was the really only stance I took. I'm like, it's okay, you want to talk about this? I'll talk about physical distancing. And so I sort of took a stance on that. And then I just sort of thought, look, I just want to process this. Like I'm someone that's starting from a, a probably a lot further ahead on the continuum from um, being an optimistic, um, you know, motivated, resilient person. So I thought, okay, if I'm going through, like if I'm seeing this and processing this in this way, how would somebody who didn't have the advantage of, I guess, the skill set and the perspective I have, I also don't have children and I didn't have employees. so. I had a very different um, outlook on it. So I thought if I'm struggling with some of this stuff, I was sort of putting myself into other people's shoes and thinking how might they be dealing with it? So it was a, it was a huge observational piece in the beginning. Um, what I did was I opened up what I called a virtual drop-in centre. So I opened up my, my, my Zoom room for half an hour every day for about three or four months and just people just popped in and I just thought that was the best thing. I, I felt like I needed to be of service but I just wasn't, I wasn't going out there and pitching or doing anything like that. And thankfully I've got, you know, great, um, you know, business coach and mentors that said, now's not the time for resilience. People are in panic. Resilience will come later. So yeah, I just sort of sat it out. Um, I just, yeah, I think just, I've never spent so much time at home. That was the thing that really got me. Like I'm hardly ever at home. Um, and at first I was like, um, okay, yep, look, this is the right thing we need to do. But I think like a lot of a lot of people, as time went on, um, I started to have my eyes opened to potentially some of the, um, some of the things that really didn't make sense about what's happening. Yeah. So, yeah, so I got, I, I was questioning a lot and then I would get really frustrated and I would get quite angry. And even up until now, like I think, considering the way things have gone, I think if people look at it quite critically, so much doesn't make sense of you know, really the response doesn't fit what's going on. So there's a lot of questions. But then I had to realise is that 
while I just wanted to be screaming from the rooftops, can't you see what's going on while everybody's distracted by this nonsense? I also had to be sensitive to the thing that people are in fear. Um, you know, fear creates, you know, different responses in different people. You know, so many people are just so consumed by the media and the government and they trust implicitly everything the government and the media says. And so I then had to step back and go, if I get off path with what I'm doing, then I'm not going to be of any use to anybody. Mm. So I have to keep coming back and going. I heard someone say it's like, it's about being the lighthouse. And like a lighthouse's job isn't to save the ships, it's just to shine the light. And that's what I feel now is what I need to do in this whole situation as well. Like how I question a lot of stuff and, in, you know, through conversations and raise some of those issues, but I can't lose sight of how I'm needed right now to be, I guess, that light of optimism and resilience and, and, and really showing that while there's so much uncertainty, it also is a, a space of great possibility. Oh, I can relate so many things with that, what you just said, because I remember I got this wave of inspiration when it first happened too. It's like, I just want to, this is an opportunity to like help more. And I actually wanted to do more interviews. I was like, just bring it on. I got to step up and serve. And then I went to this emotional roller coaster of like, you know, when all this like racial stuff started and like all these opinions and I'm like, whoa. And then like, you know, obviously going down the conspiracy thing. I don't even know that word conspiracy. I don't even know anymore because a lot of that stuff is like, it makes more sense to me than what's going on. <laughs> like it's so like, there's so many rabbit holes that you're right. We could, I think we all went down, but you can get really consumed in that. And then you got to go, wait a second. What? Okay. There's only so much I need to consume with this stuff. Right. And you can really get lost and you can really lose what you're supposed to bring to the table. And that's what I found too. I'm like, hold on a second. What am I, what's my objective here? Is my objective to like make people feel bad and try and convince people of things or is my objective to be the light? Just like you said, I just did a story about this yesterday and I'm like, it's not our job to convince people like, like a bad salesperson. Like you need this. It's about, doing the best you can do in your own power and with what you know and being in your truth and people will gravitate towards that right instead of trying to be tell everybody you got to do this you got to do that you got to pick this side or that side it's really it's really taught me a lot about well what the only thing that we can change is ourselves right it all starts with us and I just noticed as well as like so many people that didn't have the tools, like who didn't have, you know, like the resilience and hasn't gone through a lot of different things are kind of like lost. Oh shit. Like what's going on. And these, I'm supposed to trust these people. And they, and you're like, well, they, they've lied about so many other things. What's the difference about this? Like, why do you trust them so much? And it's a really weird dance back and forth because there's people that, I personally know really well and respect about so many things. And then when it comes to this stuff, I'm like, it blows my mind. I'm like, really? Like you really? And I'm like, I don't even want to go there. Cause it's just like, it's not anybody's fault. It's just what we know and what we believe. And so it would be true. And it's like, how can I say that's wrong or whatever? Right. And we can get into a really dark place. So I really agree with like, we got to be the light. We got to know like, what is our strength? what are we trying to do here? Like, you know, like what's our objective here? Yeah, I completely agree. And I actually saw the story and I was like, oh my God, we are so on the same page yeah. as far as just the perspective. And, and it's just, it's taking ownership of this because I feel what's really come out of this situation is that I've always felt that there's a real issue in the world at the moment with a sense of entitlement that it's almost like you know, people are owed something or they need to be given something and it's not a sense mm. of taking re personal responsibility for their experience in life. It's always someone else's fault and someone else needs to do something for them. And I feel that this has really highlighted how much I feel really it's probably the majority have outsourced their responsibility and control of their life to the media and the government. 
And that really does bug me in that. But again, it's like I've got people that I'm really close to that are, you know, so far on the, as I said, what's going on in the mainstream media and, you know, oh, they won't go anywhere or they, you know, they're, um, you know, it's the whole, the, the debate about the masks and all this sort of Ugh. stuff. And, 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 the, and the other one is, is it's like, like, I can't wear a mask and I wouldn't anyway. Um, but, you know, the, you know, the um, temperature guns, like, uh, this is the thing, I'm educating people everywhere I go. You are not pointing that thing at my head. And the pineal gland, right? In your pineal gland. Yeah, the pineal gland, your third eye. It's like, so I'm like, you can take it on my wrist. And I feel like I had to go to a, a, an appointment at a hospital and I said, oh, you take it on my wrist. And it's like the nurses are like, what? And then you look, look, see their face go, oh, it's the same. Like if you take it on the wrist. I said, yeah, I don't feel comfortable with you pointing that at my head. And what even more so, I don't feel comfortable with seeing children being conditioned to just line up and just have this thing pointed at their head. I'm like, that really disturbs me. And even like just going into a shop recently, it was like the person at the door is not even making eye contact with people. It's just like this process line. And so I'm like, every chance I get, I'm going to break their state and I'm going to get them to question why they're doing that. And, you know, it's just, I think that's all we can, I think that's the best thing we can do is just, um, is do that but also we need to come again come from a place of love and compassion and 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 get that really people are doing the best they can with what they have and they're doing all they know yeah um it's all we can do um and it's really difficult when there are people that are close to us because i you know i can't judge their experience all we can do is um you know is potentially just ask questions about how they've come to that conclusion you know, this is, this is just like a real life experiment, like on how do people show up? Like, how do we, it's just a real life thing. I felt like, you know, when, when it comes to business and all this kind of stuff, it's serious, but it's not, you don't see the real side of people sometimes. Like, but when this stuff happens, you really see the real side. You see the real fears and you see the real truths. You see the people who crack under pressure. You see there's so many things. And what I'm getting is like, you know, and I've talked about it before. And one of my mentors, Aubrey Marcus, um, he talks about, you know, what unconditional love is and just for people and just the acceptance of where they're at, you know, like it's hard because we want to be right, but we just got to accept where people are. And I think that acceptance and just not trying to be right allows that the barrier to go down so that people are more open to different information. But we're also, like I even still, I try, I'm like, that's so stupid. What are you thinking? Like, how can you, but that doesn't do anything. Right. And what I can't, I want to get into something about Australia right now is like, what is, how is it so different in, see a lot of people that are talking about Australia don't understand how Australia works. Like how Melbourne is like, I don't understand like living in the country. Okay. You know, I lived in Sydney when there was the, when there was the um, lockout in the bars. Right. And that was which a is, huge which is- only just changed yeah. in January, which is really interesting from a timing perspective. Yeah. And the, the thing is, is like, if I thought, oh, wow, okay, because they were very strict, obviously what happened at King's Cross and all that, but it was such a strict city. And then Melbourne was always known as like, you know, the 24-hour city, the bars, the restaurants, and it was like, you know, nothing could go wrong there. And then boom, that city gets that lockdown. It's, it's, I'm, it blows my mind. What's it like in Australia from that, from a Sydney perspective? And like, what's going on there? Yeah, like in, in Sydney, I, I guess because I'm not coming from a place of fear, then I'm quite happy to go out. Yeah. Like I, I go out, like I've been out the last couple of days, I go out for brunch, I go out for dinner, I go to people's I love places. you Aussies. I love I still, you guys over there. <laughs> I still, I still, I still hug my friends. You know, I do all this sort of stuff. I'm not doing any, like I'm not coming from a place of fear. Um, because also too, I know that fear weakens your immune system more than anything. And I think that's been the biggest issue through this is totally. that, you know, there's probably been a lot of people that have got sick that probably would never have got sick, but because they've just been terrified then their body hasn't been able to resist a germ that they would have not had an issue with. Um, but I think with Sydney, it's been, also we've got different, um, 
different different governments in Sydney and Melbourne. Um, you know, we've got a Labor leader in Melbourne and um, a Liberal leader in in um, in Sydney. So I think that um, you know, in Sydney, from a, from like as a Liberal Party perspective, they're more focused on. Um, you know the economy and business and stuff like that, and of course, then they get labelled as being heartless. And you know, what if it was your grandmother that died and all this sort of stuff? And it just, it's just this this whole guilt thing that's come around from it. But um, yeah, it's it's been quite it's been quite interesting from that perspective. I think also too, like had the benefit of being so isolated as well. Probably not as such really really high density living. Um, you know, it's got you know, great healthcare, all that sort of stuff, but probably the hospitals have been empty it's like it's just been really quite fascinating when you look at all that um so i'm sort of feeling that um like but again there's still the media is going on about oh people need to test more you need to test more you need to test more and it's like well if people were sick then you know it's like this virus is so deadly but you have to test for it um it's just been quite interesting to look at that but yeah victoria um is a really really interesting beast because it's coming out a lot of it now is so many of the decisions particularly around uh, the severity of the lockdowns and the curfews and stuff like that the premier made them with no consultation with health with no consultation with the police minister so there's there is um getting i i feel it's it's probably going to reach a bit of a boiling point down there um because there is so much unrest but and they just keep changing the laws like um there was one I read on Twitter that um, I think the the Victorian government's just put through the premier put through, and it was about um, private security forces and powers to like they've been going and basically arresting people for putting a post on Facebook. Yeah, I saw. That. And they're charge charging these people with incitement. Wow! Because they dare to question, and 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 that. And my, and from what I'm seeing from some pretty gun, you know, legal people, um, there's a couple of class actions actually going against the Victorian government at the moment um, around the the legalities of this. Yeah. So there's this, like, if people do take the time to have a look into some of this sort of stuff, um, a lot of this stuff is just not even being legal. But people won't question it because they're being, oh, but, you know, it's it's that whole shame or the peer pressure of you know you might be fine but what if you then made someone sick and that person uh, died or wear well, a mask don't be selfish guilt thing yeah it is it is and like yes. what was one of the ones i saw it's like oh you know somebody that doesn't wear a mask is a sign of a sociopath i'm like this has just gotten like it's and it's, yeah. it's turning turning people against each other and um you know and i think this is the thing is we need to be united more than anything and so much of this stuff is about division and 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 vision and fear and it's not the not the place we need to come from so i think like in australia we've been fairly lucky as far as that goes but i think it also it also comes down to the lens through which you're looking at it through and i've got a different lens than a lot of people have you know i was saying that's one country i wouldn't want to do that in because aussies don't take shit and like i could like that's not a good country to test that kind of stuff on because I know how Aussies are. Aussies do not, if they're like in Canada, people are kind of like a little bit more reserved as far as like, but Aussies, I love that about them. They have this fire that they're like, they don't take shit. And yeah. I, I love that about Aussies. Like, you know, I love that about how they will speak up more and speak their mind. And I've always respected that, that they have this like, no, no, mate. Like, you know, like, and, and I think that that might backfire on all this because people aren't going to be putting up with that forever. Like, that's just yeah. not a good idea. Yeah, I think it's been interesting to observe because I think that while there's, I think that, yeah, there's definitely elements of that, that it's like, hang on, this doesn't seem fair. Yeah. But also on the flip side, there's also this whole thing about, um, you know, with, with, with Australian culture is sometimes people don't want to rock the boat either. And people are like, oh, you know, oh, we're just going to do what's right for everyone. There's that that element as well. So, um yeah, I think that that's been really fascinating just to observe. And I think that the next couple of weeks are going to be really, really fascinating to sort of see, um, particularly with Victoria, um, to see, um, you know, I think there's going to be some blow-ups there. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's the, the, just the tension is 
really crazy. I would hate to be down there right now. That's for sure. Crazy. Well, okay. Let's, let's circle back now because I know that you, I, I love talking about this stuff in the world and all that, but I really want to get into like your story because you had a powerful story that I can um, resonate really well with as well from one of my friends and we'll get into that. Um, but I would love to, if you can take us back to the beginning, walk us through what it was like for you growing up and a little bit of how you got to where you are today and how you learn all these amazing resilient skills. Yeah. So you're going back. I was, I was probably a bit of a, probably a little bit unique as a young person in that I had really clear visions, what I wanted to do with my life, probably before I even started school. So I knew from, you know, being really little that all I wanted to do was be a vet. And so everything I did in my schooling, that, that was my, that was my primary goal. And yes, I was, I was right on that path. So at 12 years old, um, I'd gotten into a selective agricultural college for my secondary schooling. So that was like the best path to becoming a vet. So that was good. Um, And I was always incredibly athletic as well. So in, in summer, I was the pitcher in the softball team. Um, In winter, I was one of the first two girls to ever play soccer. This is like 30, 30 years ago. Um, So it's a totally different world than what it is for women's sport now. Um, so I played soccer and then I was a rep runner. So I represented my school every distance from the 100 metres right through to the cross country. So it's like athletic, academic, um, you know, normal family life, great friends. So, you know, I was doing pretty well. And, you know, growing up in Sydney, it's, it's a pretty good lifestyle as well. Um, you know, very safe, very friendly. Uh, it was, yeah, it was pretty cool. And, um, yeah, so I thought I was on, on, on path with life. And um, then unfortunately, at 12 years old, I was uh, calling off in a backyard swimming pool with my younger brother who was 10 and a couple other boys around the same age. And um, I was just, yeah, everything, every time I went to this relative's place, all I did was just climb up on the edge and dive in and just kept doing it over and over again. And But I was getting yelled at to stop. But I think we all know what it was like when you were 12 and you're bulletproof and invincible. And it's like, meh, I'm not going to listen to that. And but yeah, one particular time I was standing there and I thought I was splashing too much. So I stood there for a bit and I thought, look, what if I keep my legs straight and hold my feet together? I thought in theory that would make a great dive without splashing. So I ended up, you know, taking a deep breath and doing that. And, you know, it felt like any other dive until I went to try and swim up to the surface and I realised I couldn't move. So I didn't feel any pain. I didn't feel like anything had gone wrong, but I was stuck, unable to move, holding my breath, panicking, desperately trying to think, how can I get you know, my brother to help? But, you know, they, the, the other kids thought I was just mucking around. So, you know, I held my breath for as long as I could, but when I couldn't hold it any longer, I just had to give in. And then as I breathed in and my lungs filled with water, I blacked out. Whoa. And, yeah, so it's just even like, you know, it's, 30 years now since that happened and this year and yeah it's as vivid as it's ever been and yeah so eventually they realized that I wasn't mucking around and pulled me out and you know it was later that night at the third hospital that I was taken to that um, I was told that I'd actually broken my neck and drowned and that I'd never walk again so you know it felt like a literal death sentence at the time having you know, being that fiercely independent, active young woman, um, you know, who identified as an athlete and all of those sort of things to then be told, like, you know, you're not going to walk again. Um, so, you know, that was, it did, it felt like my life was over in that moment. And, you know, the years that followed were definitely a real struggle. Um, I really struggled to accept what had happened. And I was just bitter and angry and resentful. And it was pretty much all directed at myself, given that I was in that situation because of my own actions. And, you know, much like a lot of teenagers, my outlets were getting drunk and getting stoned. And, you know, that was a lot of my, I guess my lot of my high school years. And I I look at it back, I look back at it now and I look that I sort of felt that, you know, while physically I drowned once, emotionally I was drowning every single day at that point in my life. And, you know, they were my outlets. And, but in between, you know, those moments of artificial happiness, it was, um, you know, getting deeper and darker. And yeah, but I sort of kept up, you know, I kept up the facade that, you know, everything's great, getting on with life, nothing to see here. Um, yeah, but it was just, you know, at the lowest points, you know, I hated life, hated myself, didn't want to be here at all and would have given anything to either have turned back the clock and not taken that dive or to just not be here at all. Um, but it was probably getting towards the end of high school that I 
started to you know shift beyond that and and started to look more positively to the future and leave those sort of destructive habits behind um, but it wasn't until I was sort of really into my 20s that the, I guess the really big shift came and that's where I actually you know realized you know I couldn't change what had happened um, but I could change what I, how I felt about it I could change what happened next so then I began to look at what happened um, from a place of complete gratitude and most people think how the heck can you be grateful for having your life change that way and you know ending up a quadriplegic and needing a wheelchair for the rest of your life but um, that was the shift for me and when people spend time with me they realize that I am genuinely happy about how my life's changed and the opportunities I've had um, but it wasn't until I think it was my early 30s and having done a lot of personal development and things like that, that it was, you know, working with some mentors and coaches that they were the ones that said, there, you know, there's so much power in what you've done with your life and your story and the lessons that you've learned. And, and, and I was like, no, I don't want to talk about myself. I'm not going to do this. Um, you know, it's like Australian culture. It's like no one likes to stand out. So I thought, no, I don't want to talk about myself because everyone will think I'm a total wanker. And so, but then a particular mentor I was working with, he said, Stace, like, you've got to get over yourself. This isn't about you. you know, this is about your audience. And he said, and with a story as powerful as yours, if you don't share your story, you're selfish. How could I argue with that? It's a great perspective. It's yeah. So true. It's, it, when it becomes about others and not about us, it changes it, right? It did. Wow. And so- nine, nine years later after that conversation then you know i'm speaking around the world professionally as a you know as an expert and a speaker on resilience and you know i've written written you know published a book on it like i've done all this sort of stuff and um and just continue to grow and evolve and i've realized that just by focus like always focusing on growing and learning myself and then sharing what i learn and just essentially just living out loud Mm -hmm. is is the best gift i can give to the world so I'm trying to put myself in 12-year-old Lance's head right now and just imagining how easy that could have been for myself or anybody else to do that. We're doing stupid shit, jumping backflips. And it's, it's so close to home because, you know, I, one of my, my best friends when we were 19, he was, in a, he was, he was the athlete, a star athlete, the baseball player, the basketball player, he looked like Tom Cruise, the biggest stud. He still is a stud. But, like, he, you know, he, we were 19. We had just turned 19 legal in Canada, and he got in a car accident, broke his neck, quadriplegic, and it's been like that since, like, 2003 or something, 2004. So I can it's, – it's such a – it's such a crazy time because – I know from seeing him go through that, that people, people treat you different. Like they think like you're still all there, but they look at you and they treat you different. And that fucking killed me to see that. Like he's still the same guy. Don't treat him like that. You know what I mean? Like that stuff pissed me off. And I just, I remember just seeing that and you know, after a while you get used to it and I I don't know how you get used to it, but you know what I mean? And it's just seeing that, and what a question I want to ask you is like, what was that like for you? Like how, how did people treat you after? Like, what was the, like, cause that's gotta be one of the hardest things is like all of a sudden people, you can like feel them treating you differently. Right? Like kids are, we're teenagers. We don't know what's going on. We're just stupid kids. Right. Most of us, <laughs> what was that yeah. like? Like, what was that like at 12 and how did that, like, how did you navigate through that? Yeah, look, it was it was it was definitely incredibly challenging, and I think even just like now, just thinking about it, it's even just like the the the, the, the literal viewpoint you have on the world, um, because like even at even like at eleven, like I was five foot six, like I was always a really tall person. Like now, like if I was on my feet, I'm six foot one, you know. So to to go from being like that viewpoint of the world and sort of being you know, taller than everybody at your age and doing all that sort of stuff to then sort of, you know, you're sitting very low to the ground. And there's even just that literal, you know, that, that power 
sort of imbalance when you, yeah. you know, you're sort of down and people are literally, literally looking down on you. Um, so I think that was hard to deal with. I think that there's a lot of stuff that comes up. It's like, and, it, and it's still an issue sometimes today, but I find a lot of it, I don't get as much of the, oh dear, what happened to you? type thing um because i used to have this perspective i used to have this feeling that if people came near me i'm like don't come near me don't come near me don't come near me and i think you always attract what you don't like that sort of stuff so once i once i shifted and i realized that you know if you don't want people to feel sorry for you don't feel sorry for yourself type thing then like i think the way that i i guess i present myself and stuff my posture that sort of stuff i don't get a lot of that but there's still a lot of things like you know, people will either talk slower or talk louder to you. Yeah. Like it's like it's like you're either deaf or you're stupid. It drives um, me nuts when I see that. I'm like, uh, oh, you idiot. Like that don't. happens. Yeah. I think the, the biggest one is is if you are out with somebody, you know, with a friend or a partner or something like that, is that you know, you'll go to a shop or a restaurant or whatever, and they always talk to the person that you're with, like as if you're not there. Or it's like I might pay for something and then they'll give the change or something back to the person I'm with. I'm like, hello. Um, no, oh, I don't. Man. I don't. I don't. I don't sort of lose my shit over it as much as I have in the past. But in the, I guess earlier too. Like I kind of felt obliged to answer people's questions. It's almost like, geez, I'm like this one person rolling public education campaign, um, and I bloody hated that. So now it's like if someone if someone comes up and we used to have it on the train quite a lot. And someone will come up and go, oh, so what happened to you? And I'm like, what do you mean? And like, like, you know, the chair. And so blunt. But, you know, they are. And it's like, no filter. The that's the Aussie, no, no filter. And I'm like, but that's the first, if, you know, if that's the first thing that comes out of someone's mouth, I'm like, that is, first of all, it's freaking lazy conversation. Yeah. That pisses me off yeah so it depends on what kind of mood they get me in like if i'm in a smart ass sometimes i've had times where i'm like they go the chair i'm like what the fuck how did that happen it's just like you know you can make something of it but then i don't i don't feel obliged anymore that i have to educate someone and i still have a lot of debates around this and and then there's also that perception that because you are a person with a visible disability then somehow you are an advocate or you know, those kind of things. It's like, no, the last thing I want to speak about from most times is disability. It's not my unique take in life. And mm. even like I've had speaker, I've noticed even some of the speaker bureaus that have listed me, they'll, they'll say I speak on disability. I'm like, I don't speak on disability. No. Like, it's not my thing. Um, so there's definitely those kind of perceptions. Um, and I think just, I think what gets me as well is, some a lot of the conversations I have with people is that they they think they sort of go oh my god like you are just so amazing because you did something that is just so normal for anybody else and oh yeah and then there's the word inspirational which was really interesting going into this world of being a speaker because we see like I'm, I'm an inspirational speaker but in the disability community they've bastardized this word as if that like it's, it's just, it's like such an awful thing to say someone's inspiring. So it's been really interesting. So I had, I had to really feel that I'd done so much more than anybody else before I even felt comfortable then going out and saying that I was an inspirational speaker, but I'm like, who are, who are any of us to judge in a way what other people find inspiring? I think inspiration is such a positive thing. Um, But I guess that the only piece is, it's like, you know, if you go and, if you go and walk up to somebody um, that, you know, is using a cane or using a wheelchair on the train and go, Oh my God, you're so inspiring. Like what for what? Cause I got on the train this morning. Like it's, I guess having a little bit of an understanding that while it's coming from a place of good intention, that it may not be received that way. Um, you know, I've had people that have come up in a supermarket and, you know, oh, my God, you're so inspiring. I'm like, what? Because I'm doing my groceries. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I guess the other one that you get and um, is that, you know, you get the people that want to come and pray for you. And it's like wow. people just have this, like some people in that respect have assumption that your life's awful. It's like my life's bloody amazing. <laughs> yeah. Or that you want to be cured or that you hate being in a wheelchair. It's like actually... I think there's worse things. Um, but 
I, as long as I'm healthy and I'm able to get out and do live the life I want to do and do the things I want to do, like it's the last thing. I couldn't give a rat's about walking. Mm. See, that's the, that's what I find inspiring is like the perspective. That's that's what's inspiring is that you could choose to either, you know, look at it like that, make the best of it, or just sit around and regret all the things like you know and think about that and go down that loophole, right? Like you're empowering, you're being empowered versus being in victim mentality, right? And you know, I had Eric Legrand on as well. I see that. I think he follows you on Instagram. Yeah, we follow each other. Yeah, he's he was rad. And you know, like another dude that's just like his perspective on it. It's like, well, what am I going to do? You know, like make the best of it. You know, and it's that that attitude is 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 the inspiring part because there's a lot of people who have everything that are that are just so fucking blind to what they have and so ungrateful for everything, and they just complain. And you're like and wake up you know and that i think is the point that, that, that i love is that you're able to go all right well like here it is here's where we're at you know how how can i take this and mm. you know help change people's lives and being resilient is so important in life like what we're going through now if you're going in business if you're going through you know relationship problems Resilience is everything. I mean, this is why I created the show Adversity. It's like it's everything or nothing without this stuff, right? Oh, completely. Like I think adversity is the absolute greatest gift that yeah. anyone, any one of us can be given. And I think that this, is, that this is what's been really fascinating about how people have responded to the last six months because people have never, like they just live so comfortably that they've never been, like so many people have never really uh -huh. had any big challenges in their lives. And I think that for, for the first time, people have had a taste of what it's like to have your life changed in an instant and to have no control over it for, you know, in the beginning. Um, but it is, it's just completely around the perspective. It's, and it just becomes like, it's the thing, everything, this is all a choice. Yeah, and sometimes is. people, because that's such a lot for me, like I could, I could have chosen for it to ruin my life or make my life better. Like everyone has that choice. And I think a lot of people do go down the, well, life's over. What's the point? But the people that have everything, the people that have everything yeah. say that it's like, what? Yeah. And it's like, but it, but it is, well, people go, it's not that simple. I'm like, yeah, it is that bloody simple. It's like, it is a choice. Yeah. Like you get, you get what you look for. Um, and, you know, coming back to the, you know, people are just, um, that just really don't look because gratitude is such a huge part of it. You know, one of my, you know, my core values is that I'm grateful for everything and I'm entitled to nothing. Mm, love that. Yeah. It's what I come back to every day. It's like, and, truth, and grateful though? for everything. Like, it's no, so true. You know, yeah, like the, the world doesn't owe us anything. If anything, I feel we owe yeah. Like for the experience we have and, yeah. and the life that we have, I feel that if, if more people come from a place of what can I give rather than what can I get, I imagine the difference. Mm, yeah. Well, for resilience, I mean, I know you've been asked this, but for the listeners, you know, what, if you had to give your elevator pitch on what resilience means to you, and I'm sure you've been asked this a million times, but I have to ask you, you know, what is it? And how can people be more resilient today? Yeah. Look, I, I have a bit of a different take on resilience to most um, because for me, I feel that lately, lately probably in the last few years and the experience I've had is that resilience has become synonymous with coping. And I feel that that sells it so short or the typical, oh, it's all about bouncing back. And I'm like, that's crap as well because all it implies is you just keep coming back to where you were. Oh, I, I believe and I feel and in my experience, resilience is, is, is about growing through a challenge rather than just going through it. It's how it's, I feel it's a learning and a growth strategy. It's how you use all of the challenges and the adversity, uncertainty and change and how you then grow and you actually become stronger and you become more through that process. And I also feel that resilience is a proactive strategy rather than a coping strategy. Mm. It's something that you do and you work on so that in order to, when something does happen, you're prepared. 
it's not like something's gone wrong and it's like, holy crap, what do I do about it? It's like, you've got that muscle. And like going to the gym, it's a similar thing. It's like, you know, you go and you're doing a series of simple things repetitively and on a consistent basis. Um, but if you stop doing it, then you lose some of that strength and resilience is the same. Like some people look at me and go, wow, you know, you're so resilient. I'm like, I work at this every single day. Mm. Every single day. It's not like it's just some magical thing that I have. Um, it and it's always evolving. It takes work. And, and I think what I've, what I've learned about resilience through this particular piece is that I've, I've sort of, um, you know, through just observing and a lot of stuff's come through meditating lately. Um, is that's what I've sort of found that a lot of the stuff that I do with resilience is their rituals. And mm. so it's evolved into rituals for resilience. And what's really cool is in this whole time of uncertainty, rituals are so powerful because we're in complete control of the things we do and they create certainty and structure and routine and all of those sort of things. And they create um, a sense of certain certainty and control where outwardly it feels like there is none. So um, that, that's how I sort of look at resilience. I think mm. it's, um, but I also think it's the foundational piece of everything. Like, yeah, I may be completely biased, but I think if, if, if anyone was going to look at it and they go, okay, what, what really is the superpower? If you were going to be able to be the best version of yourself in business, life, relationships, community, the whole lot, what's the one thing that you could work on? And I'm like, well, it's resilience because if you've got that, then that creates a foundation for you to go and do anything. Now, resilience gives you the opportunity to, to be able to feel confident to go and take chances, to go and do things. But it also, what I love about coming from a place of resilience and particularly gratitude being one of those rituals of resilience is that, you know, it actually gives you the perspective that, you know, you know, and the belief that, you know, good things are going to happen. Um, but it's just, it's just such a place of power to come from um and it also gives you that sense that it's something that smashes you out of complacency as well and i think that that's probably one of been one of the biggest gifts again of the last six months is that it's getting people to realize that just because the way things are they're not always going to be this way and i think that people um have had their complacency challenged mm. in the in the last few years I well, in the last few years and particularly in the last six months um and will continue to do so if they don't change their perspective on it you know i really i've never heard that perspective on resilience and i absolutely love it because you're right we look at it as like a coping thing like oh i gotta scrape to get back but it's like no it's like a thing that you want to prep before so that you're ready and you know, you talk about, I, I want to talk about David Goggins for a second because he's probably the most, and he called you a badass. Yes. <laughs> I had to bring that, I, I, that guy is probably, see, hearing his story and just hearing that guy, it's just like, it's, it's, I just cannot believe that a human can be that resilient and can just keep going. It's like that right there. It's like, but he talks, it's like getting that muscle ready, being ready for when, something like this happens it's like oh fuck this is here no problem that's what it is right and that's what you're saying it's like calluses building those calluses so that you're ready for it you know it is it is and like i remember because I, I listened to like can't hurt me on audible like and i think anyone that's read the book like gotta listen to the audible like the audible it's insane so, isn't it amazing because i just loved the conversation piece um, and yeah, cause I've obviously, I'd been aware of him for a while, but then I was going to an event in Sydney in January that he was actually speaking at. So I thought, oh, I wanted to immerse in it. And as I was listening to it, I thought, oh, God, we are so on the same page with our perspectives on this is that, you know, there's nothing particularly special about either of us. It's just been, we've just, we've just made choices and we've committed and we've had discipline and we've showed up. Um, and we've not let things that are uncomfortable get in the way. And also I think because when I first started in this space and I didn't feel, I honestly didn't feel qualified to speak about resilience because I wasn't an academic or a psychologist and I didn't have all this published research. Yeah. Anyway, so I had, I, had a, I had a chat with David for a few minutes on, at that event and I was just sort of saying to him about how much I resonated that and a little bit about my story and he's just like, He's just like nodding that he's writing in my book and he just kept writing as like badass girl and like all these exclamation marks. Oh, and awesome. then 
it was so cool. And so we had a, we had a good chat. And then I sort of said to him similarly, I said, you know, so, so much these days, they're always like, oh, this is evidence-based and this is backed by research. And I'm like, what's the point of like backed by research? You know what? You had a, a, a cohort of people that was statistically significant because you interviewed 30 people um, at one moment in their life and then you wrote a paper on it. And yeah. suddenly that means that that is truth. And so the element that I looked at years ago, I'm like, none of this backed by, backed by science, backed by research bullshit. I was like, this is backed by life. Yeah. And I shared that, that backed by life piece with, with David and he is like, yes, is so <laughs> badass. Um, and I said, that's what I felt that we kind of, what we sort of connected over. Um, so that was super inspiring. And then to have, I'm like, man, when the world's toughest man called you a badass, like you take that and you wear it with pride, don't you? That guy is like, it's almost like, I don't know how a human can do, like, can do what he does. Like, it's insane. But he says it's like, it's constant conditioning to that. It's like, oh, man, it's, yeah, it's, it, there's so many lessons to be made. And it all starts with us. It all starts with the choices. And you brought up rituals. What does that look like for you? Like, what works for you? What is something that gets you ready? And dialed in for the day like what do your rituals look like other than gratitude because i practice gratitude too the ultimate level level of receivership joe dispenza talks about that doing that practice changed my life no doubt and well there's science behind it too like you literally change your brain chemistry chemistry mm, absolutely what else, what else do you do what sets you up for the best day yeah well there's stuff that i do in the morning there's stuff i do in the evening and there's stuff that i do situationally throughout mm -hmm. the day so I think if we start with the gratitude piece, since you've brought it up, um, I do gratitude a little bit differently than most because, um, you know, so often they're like, oh, you know, get your gratitude journal and you write down three things you're grateful for today. I find it totally wanky. Yeah. Like I just sort of feel that it's like it's an obligation and you kind of like, oh, I've got to do this and I've got to look for this. And if it doesn't come from a place of heart, then what's the point? Mm -hmm. So I, I just found it didn't work for me. So what I do instead of, looking for these things I'm grateful for every day, I actually use mantras. And because I find mantras are so much more controllable and also like you, you just by saying a mantra, then you experience gratitude rather than having to look for it. So the mantra I use is thank you for the opportunity to be who I am, where I am with what I have at this moment in time. I'm not having to look for anything. I'm just, I'm experiencing gratitude. I am grateful. Like it's a lot easier. It's a lot more controllable. It's a lot more doable. So it's the last thing I say to myself as I fall asleep at night. It's the first thing I say to myself when I open my eyes. It's the thing I say to myself if I find myself overwhelmed at any point in the day, if I need to ground myself. Um, so that just brings me back into the moment. Um, and then gratitude situationally, it's just, it's just basically walking through the day every day with a sense of wonder and amazement and gratitude for everything that is like, mm. it's just incredibly amazing. Like how, yeah, how great it is. Just the simplest of things. Um, so, so I d that gratitude is just such a huge part of my life. Um, you mentioned Dr. Joe Dispenza. I actually went to one of his workshops in Sydney last year. Like, yeah. Oh my God. Uh, just a one day one. Um, brilliant. I use his, I use his morning meditation, yeah. Uh, I just love it. Um, love his books. I've got the piles of them. I haven't read them all, but, um, you know, listen to them on Audible. I love, um, he's got the free meditations on um, YouTube at the moment, the Go Love and the You Inspire Me meditations. They're brilliant. Um, but it does, it just creates a different resonance in your, particularly in your heart and opening your heart is so powerful. Um, other rituals, journaling is a massive one for me. Not the gratitude journal, um, although um, you know, it started just with writing one sentence at the end of the day, which was today I had the opportunity to complete the sentence. Um, it's my not, it's my, it's my number one non-negotiable in my day. I haven't missed an evening of writing in over five years. Wow. Now. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Over five years. Um, sometimes it That's might be crazy. Once. Good for you. Yeah. yeah. I do it electronically. Um, so I can do it on, you know, an app, an email on my desktop, any of that sort of stuff. But yeah, I've been doing it for five years. Um, it's just powerful. I do it of an evening because it gives me the opportunity to empty my mind before I go on 
lay down. I'm not overthinking. Yeah. It gives me a chance to capture the highlights of the day, um, particularly to um, what I really love is that it gives you the opportunity to rewrite some of the stuff that happened in the day because often in the moment we're reactive and we have a different lens on it. But if we then at the end of the day then write, obviously we're not changing the facts of a situation, but we're changing the language and we're changing the emotions around it, then we have the opportunity to rewrite the experience and to make that story stick in a more positive light because I found that the way we describe a situation is the way we experience it. I like that. Yeah. So it makes a lot of sense. I like that a lot because oh, journaling, I just don't even get me started on how amazing it is. Like, love it. I think, I think it saved me thousands and thousands of therapy over the isn't years. Isn't it like therapy? I know. Yes. And you know what? I, for some reason, I have resistance to it sometimes, even though I know it's the best thing. It's literally, I, oh, it's so therapeutic. It's like you dump all this stuff out and then you tap into your subconscious mind and like, it like starts to just stuff just comes out and you're like, what? It's crazy. Mm-hmm. And like all yeah. this, all this amazing stuff comes up, but you're right. Like if you, you can kind of reframe your day as like, well, how do you really see, how do you want to rewrite your day? How did it happen? Because you could see it come in, in a way, depending on how you're feeling that day, you could judge it. You put judgment and uh, emotional attachments to the past and how things all perceive that day. But then you can sit down at the end and reflect and be like, actually recreate it and read turn it into how you want. I've never heard of that. That's a really cool, cool way to do it. Yeah. yeah it's something that I've sort of, that's been a bit of an evolution for me. Um, and, and really it's only something that I've, I guess, consciously recognized that I've done um, and started to talk about it even only just in the last couple of months um, and just the power of it. And the other thing I could do sometimes with journaling is I pick a date in the future and I write a couple of lines as if I was writing the journal on that date. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, which that's been super powerful as well. Um, so, yeah, just the writing, it's just, I love it. Um, and some nights I've written, some nights I've been so in flow or just so much that I'm processing, I've written like 2,000 words. Wow. Just as it, because it just came and it just, but it feels so good to get it out and then to be able to go back and look at it and reflect on it is great. Um, and I guess the other ritual that um, I didn't really recognise was so powerful until recently is is music is the use of music um has been just amazing and like music kept me like music literally kept me alive at my lowest points um and i I had the benefit of being at my lowest point in life at the height of grunge so it was just like the perfect soundtrack to my life um (laughs) but yeah no music now i i like every even this morning like before i jumped on the call with you is I've got a playlist for my morning movement sessions and I do one song a morning, just shuffle play, and I just bust out, like I just move like crazy to it just to get the vibration up. And there's a bit of Blink 182 popped up today with it. Um, <laughs> We're probably just, the same age. We're probably around the same age. Well, yeah, year, what year are you born? 78. Oh, okay. Well, I'm 83, so we're close. We're close. So we're yeah, close. so you would, def- you would definitely have that sort of stuff. Um, so yeah, music is a, you know, music can pick you up. It can, um, it can calm you down. It can, um, it can connect you. It can tap into any emotion. Um, like music is just so powerful. So they're probably my, like my dailies um, is, is the, is the, you know, the, the mantras, um, the journaling, the music. Um, there's other things that I do, but they're the, they're the, they're really the core piece and they're all so simple and so doable. Like, you know, the mantra takes you 10 seconds to say to yourself, a journal, you could write one sentence in two minutes um, and a song is three to five minutes. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's what builds your, that's what builds the foundation for your resilience. Those things. It's like, sometimes people think you have to do these like crazy big things, but they don't realize that it's the simple, consistent things over time that compound into building that muscle so that you're ready because that's the thing like doing meditation you're putting yourself you know connecting to yourself and then journaling it's like you're dumping all that chatter out on the paper and it's like it's like the best feeling because there's so much weird stuff happening and when you put it out there onto paper it's just like getting it out and then you can be clear you're you're clear to let other stuff come in like that's what I notice. Even with trauma, like dealing, I've done some expressive writing. 
like three days of like just like deep writing about trauma it's like you go to deep places but wow like it's like powerful and the emotion that comes out of it it's like i i i never knew i used to i i never i always under, wondered like why is journaling a big deal but the more you can really lean into it and have like some really strong prompts too like there's some awesome pr like prompts you can have that really get you thinking and i mean it can put you to tears sometimes in a good way but sometimes you you need to go there you, you sometimes you have to go there and and writing can get you there like some music in your writing it's like whoa i'm in a place and that will allow you to be able to kind of let it go right totally agree i totally yeah. agree um and yeah and i think prompts is a good place to start and that's why yeah. you know for me the prompt of today i had the opportunity to yeah. um you know and then you can go anywhere with that um and i think it's a lot of people feel that journaling means they have to like write pages and pages and pages um you know or they have to physically write it in a book and you know, there's just so many ways to do it. You could even just do like a little video blog. You could do a yeah. little audio grab. Like it does, it's not literally having to write. Like it yeah. comes down to people's styles and how they express themselves the best. Mm, yeah. Well, that's why I love this because like podcasting is just like me being able to just talk and have conversations. Isn't it <laughs> the stuff, best? <laughs> stuff I used to get in trouble for as a kid. I was, don't talk so much. Stop socializing. <laughs> now I'm allowed was, to like talk yeah. all the time. Well, that was my thing too. My report cards always said, you know, talks too much, disrupts others, um, you know, all of those things. And then, you know, fast forward until, you know, my 30s and it's it's really funny, isn't it? It's the things we often got in trouble for as kids ended up being our greatest gifts. And, um, you know, now it's like, okay, I'm a speaker. Yeah, I was always getting told to shut up. <laughs> that's something that I want to explore too is speaking. It's, it's something that whenever I see a speaker, I'm like, oh, okay. Or an author like you, you know, you have your book as well. It's like, all right, Lance, you gotta, you gotta pick it up here. Let's go. You know, yeah. <laughs> so to have these conversations because it, it allows me to see, you know, the people that are doing amazing things like yourself. And it's like, okay, well, let's go. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And it's, that's, that's, that's the thing is, I think it's, it's good too. It's um, when you're coming back to inspiration and you're looking at other people that are doing great things that you, um, aspire to because I think that one of the one of the big things that people get caught up is in comparison um, but if you're comparing from a negative perspective then that is dangerous but if you're looking at someone and you're going I feel inspired and then I aspire to do what they're doing and I can benchmark or I can see that they've done it and you know, the old saying about success leaves clues um, you know, you can model things, you can talk to people, you can ask them questions, you can do all this sort of stuff. And similarly, I used to go to events and I just used to be mesmerized by how one person on a stage could have, you know, a thousand people in the palm of their hand for an hour just by speaking. Yeah, it's amazing. And then, you know, fast forward to then be able to be that person on the stage that can capture people's energy and attention and hearts and minds for an hour and then potentially plan a seed that could change the course of their life. Like what a privilege. Oh yeah, it is. It really is. And leaving that, that mark on somebody is so important. Even like, you know, people listening to conversations like this, it's, you know, I get messages all the time like, Oh, and I love that. You know, you really helped me get through this or, that episode changed my life and it's like wow you know like what if i didn't do that <laughs> like, exactly like, you know it's like you know same with you i mean you, you go and speak it's like you there's probably somebody that you switched in their mind just went Whoop, and then you're like what if you didn't do that what if you didn't have that speech you know it's crazy yeah and, and that's that's the thing i come back to now like i still have the times where I'm going to a gig and I'm like, oh, I hope they cancel it. Like that's sort of chatted. It never goes away, right? Of course. But then that's, that's the thing I do is I picture that one person that's in the audience. I picture that person that is at a place in their life where their life could literally go either way. And knowing that me showing up in my full best, um, completely present and energetically connecting with them and being as open and as generous with my energy and my knowledge and my time as I can, that that could literally change their lives. And so now I feel a deep moral responsibility to do what I do. Um, and it feels empowering rather than it used to feel like a pressure. I used to feel like I had to do things, but now it's like I get to do this stuff. Um, and, you know, when you get an email, sometimes I get an email two years after someone saw me speak 
And they said, exactly. because you said this, I did this. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. If we want to learn more about you and check out all your stuff, where's the best place to find you? Yeah, Inst- Instagram and LinkedIn are probably the best places to find me. So Stacey Copas on both. Um, and look, if anyone would like to have a look at my book, um, which is How to Be Resilient, Blueprint for Getting Results When Things Don't yeah. Go to Plan, um, there is a free download of that at howtoberesilient.com.au. Perfect. We'll have that all in the show notes. Your podcast, Resilient Resilience Rocks. Yeah, it's this is this is a good reminder to pull my finger out and not be such a perfectionist. Um, yeah, so I've I've got five episodes recorded already, um, and pretty much what it is is it's playing you know pretty much homage to the role that resil- um, music has played in my resilience. So it's um, yeah, it's a series of conversations exploring resilience, well-being, and music, and the relationship between those things, which is really fun so far. Very cool. Very cool. And do you have. Do you have anything else coming out, like a course or any any other things that everybody can look forward to or check into? Or yeah, so I've been doing I've been doing quite a bit of one on one coaching around the rituals for resilience, particularly mainly with entrepreneurs and executives. Um, so what I am what I do have coming up is I'm actually going to be doing some small groups, and how I'm looking at it is I'm going to put a series of bands together. I just love the music themes. So I put a series of bands together. We'll work together for six weeks on. Um, you know, the rituals for resilience and getting people's clarity on what they're wanting to do in their lives. And um, I'm finding a lot of people are coming to me with a lot of issues around imposter or getting clarity and owning their own stories and then how they can actually move forward with that in their lives. So it's pretty exciting. So yeah, keep an eye out for that too. And I'm really looking fun to looking forward to jamming with um, these groups of people and helping them with their rituals as well. Perfect. So to end it, I always ask, one last question, and I know we touched on it, but just for the formality of it, I always like to ask. Sometimes I forget, and my team's like, you didn't ask the question. What is one, <laughs> what is one lesson that adversity has taught you? One lesson that adversity has taught me, um, I, I just, that, it's, that it's a gift, um, that in order to truly experience I think, the full depth of life and to really experience growth, it needs to come from a place of challenge. It needs to come from something that pushes us beyond anything we ever thought we could experience. Um, so I just feel that adversity is just the most amazing, amazing opportunity and that um, really I don't think we can truly experience growth without that. Well said. Thank you so much. This was so much fun. I really enjoyed talking to you. This was awesome. Absolutely. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Again, if you got value from that, leave us a review. It's greatly appreciated. Share it with a friend who needs it. The resilience, the lessons of her resilience, I really got a lot out of this because the way we, she described resilience was really something that I hadn't looked at before. And being prepared, constantly working on it so that you're paving the way for when resilience happens, when things happen, you're ready to go. And that's the best way. Instead of using it as a coping mechanism, use it as a tool to get ready. So. Go follow her on social media, check her out, get her book, How to Be Resilient. And you guys, if you wanna support the show, it's always really, really helpful. Leave us a review and subscribe on YouTube because I'm trying to get that thing growing as well. Lots to come for YouTube and um, I really, really appreciate it. You guys have a great day. I love you. Catch you next time.